thinking about uh, a few years ago, I had a friend of mine who came to me, and she was in her mid to late 30s, and she said, I'm going to take my husband in to get his hearing checked. <laughs> and I kind of read between the lines on that, and I was like, okay, it sounds like you're taking your dog to the vet or like get oil changed on your car or something. And I was, I was like, okay, well, is there a problem? Is, does, he have a hear, does he have a health issue or something? She said, no. I just need to get it checked out, just to make sure he's hearing me. You know, sometimes we need uh, to get more details. Um, I think a lot of marriage is simply yelling the word what uh, across the house or between rooms, right? What? What'd you say? Uh, but sometimes you need more detail. And last week we looked in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 27, which says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we read that, and you go, well, okay, well, how did that happen? What was the context of that? What was the detail of that? Um, you know, in the beginning, it was all good. It was all very good in Genesis chapter 1, the way it all shook out. And then in Genesis 2, we actually get more details as to how this creation of people happened. And it's in Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, which says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a, a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. So the end, that's the end of Genesis 2. And like in Genesis 1, it's still all good, right? It's still very good. It's still very much in order and harmony in which all things were created at that time. As it was intended, God, nature, people, they're all in harmony with one another. Heaven and earth are seemingly one. And when the Lord created human beings, men and women, he places unique roles on each of them that you see in Genesis chapter 2. First, men, let's look at men. The word Adam in Hebrew, or Adam, means son of the earth, earth, born of the earth. And many times in Hebrew, it's also used not as a name, but as a word for simply humankind. You see that come up a lot. But in this context of Genesis 2, it's a particular person. And one task that's given to Adam is to name all the animals. Now, that would probably take a long time. Maybe they, I don't know, time was probably a lot different back then, I'm not sure. But, you know, when we first got married, we, we realized there's a progression to having babies. The first is you have plants, and if the plants live, you go, okay, let's get an animal. And then you get an animal, and then you name the animal, you know, biscuits or Fido or socks or whatever, and you name it. And then if the animal's good, okay, maybe we're ready for a baby. Now, every time I've named an animal, um, that's kind of fun, 
You know, it's, it's kind of like, you could give it like a human-y kind of name, like Mark or something. Um, but I remember when we were preparing to have our, our first child, and we watched a Lord of the Rings movie, and they named one of the ladies, in, an elf in the movie was named Eowyn. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool to name our daughter Eowyn? And then I was like, no, she's got to apply for a job one day. Like, she can't write that on a job application. Her resume, Eowyn. You know, like when you name something, like it's a big deal, right? You're giving it like purpose. Like you're, you're, you're creating some order out of, um, not chaos, but you're, you're providing identity and organization, right? When you name something. And when Adam was created with, with naming, he's, God is saying to him, I have made you with the capacity to organize and define the world around you. And I, I, want, I believe in you to do that. I want you to do that. Because if you read Genesis 1, God names things like day, right? He separates the light from the darkness. He says, oh, let's call the light part day. The night is now night. God took care of like the extraterrestrial stuff, right? But when it comes to the terrestrial, he says to Adam, I'm going to give this to you. I believe in you. I want you to structure the human experience and name all these creatures. So uh, platypus, I guess that's on Adam's shoulders. That's his fault. But so, and people read this. I've heard preachers preach on this, and they'll say things like, you know, we can co-create with God. Adam was co-creating with God. And I'm like, you have to be careful with language on that one because... That sounds nice, it's very sentimental, it's very kind of emotive, but we're really not co-creators with God. We're partnership, absolutely. We're in, he's in partnership with God, but God's the creator, right? Not the creation. I mean, like The creation's not gonna create anything. Like human beings, we can form things, we can fashion things, we can dream and, cr- and create what's that, that of which is already there, right? But we're not, we're not we can decide. In many ways, that points to the image of God in which we're born with, that Adam and Eve were created with, that we can know the difference, that we can see what could be, right? And that's very much of, of how we're created. But we don't really make anything new, per se. Like, for example, it's a story of two scientists um, perfected the cloning of humans, and they went to God one day and said to God, uh, we don't need you anymore. We can create human beings all by ourselves, so uh, thank you very much. And uh, God said, okay, well, let's have a man-making contest. And the scientist said, fine, we'll do it how you did it in the book of Genesis, uh, and at the very beginning, and we'll see who makes the best person. So the scientist reached down into the dirt, and they began to do what God did in Genesis 1, and began to form a man, and God says from heaven, no, 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 you get your own dirt. Yeah, you get your own dirt. Because people, we can leverage and utilize what's already there. I can't make dirt. God already made the raw material. There's no new laws of science or uh, nature or even physics, for example. Scientists are simply discovering what has already existed what they have already, what he has already made. 
And so God says to Adam, provide structure to that which I have already made. But I believe in you. I task you with doing this because God is good, right? God is empowering. It's grace that God is showing to Adam. I'm, I'm, God is taking joy in seeing his creation take part in this new, uh, really a, a mantle of stewardship that people are tasked with to this very day, I might add. Um, and God believed in Adam to take, provide order out of the chaos. Now, ladies, uh, the word Eve, which we'll get into in Genesis 3, but still means life, to live. And within the genetics of Adam lived the powerful qualities of a woman. And while Adam slept, the spirit takes a rib out of Adam's side and fashions for Adam a partner the scripture says. And Eve powerfully expanded Adam's creative capacities, the biggest of which, of course, would be to conceive and birth life. I would have loved to have seen Adam's initial reaction to that news. Can you believe, like what? She can do what with her body? Are you serious, God? Like, God, man's role in the creation of a life is really pretty minimal, right guys? I mean, it really is. Like, Women can, can give birth with your body. You can feed babies with your body. Like when people congratulated us for our new babies, people go, congratulations to me. And I'm like, well, I didn't really have a whole lot to do with it, but you're welcome. You know, I'm just here to help out. I'm just sort of here on the periphery. She's doing all the real work here. But the Bible says that women came not from the earth as Adam did, right? Ladies, you came from the man. So you are twice refined. <laughs> Think of yourself as the upgraded version. <laughs> yes, you're an upgrade. If men are the base model of a car with manual windows and stick shift and uh, bare bones, four-cylinder, maybe even three-cylinder, just getting by, get her done, pure utility, women, you're like the LX, leather seats, sunroof, custom alloy wheels, the whole package. You've probably seen this picture before. Show it. Right? You've seen this? <laughs> now, let me give us some context. People see that picture and go, oh, men are so simplistic. You're like, you're so stupid. Or women, oh, you're too much to deal with, you know? But no, the reason, ladies, you have so many buttons and knobs is because you are more emotionally sophisticated, because you are twice refined. Think about it. Again, Adam came from the earth. God breathed into his nostrils. Women, you came from what already was there. And so that's why there's more um, sophistication there, you could say. Now, Adam's name reflects his description his name itself reflects his very identity from the earth. And I need to say this, that I think a lot of men in our culture today, you can just feel ashamed for even being a man. Like, like no one even talks about it anymore. These either toxic masculinity, whatever that means, and or just don't say anything. And I'm like, guys, okay, I need to say to you, if you, you don't have to be stereotypically macho or anything like that, but don't be ashamed to be strong to be forthright, to love your children, 
to love your wife, to love your family, to be dependable, to be forthright. Yeah, be, a, be like a sport utility vehicle. You're just getting it done. I always tell young guys and, and teenagers, I said, don't have babies yet until you want to be a pack horse because that's, that's what you're going to be doing. So you might want to start stretching out your back muscles now. But, you know, there is nothing backwards about men being men in this regard, as we see described in the Bible. Amen? There's nothing backwards about it. There's nothing harmful about it. It is, it is more in line with your d- design. Now, with women, the, her origins reflect her. Does this mean she came from the man? Does this mean that she is somehow lesser than or the fairer of the sexes? No, it does not. If anything, you, ladies, you are more complex. Again, you are the upgrade. This explains why you woke up this morning and felt especially awesome. So, in Genesis 2, you see no evidence of a hierarchical understanding of gender. It is not there. There is an egalitarian or equal understanding of gender. A partnership is clearly at play in Genesis 2. But however, it is in the union of men and women that shows a more perfect expression of the nature of God. Uh, In verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Just as woman came from man, they are made for each other. Because you have a connected origin story, you are called to leave your father and mother, be united as one. We have a complementary design. Where I am strong, the woman is weak. Where the woman is weak, I am deficient. And it's so true. Like, ladies, many times you feel emotionally validated in the same way men need physical intimacy. Guys don't get that. Sometimes, guys, if you just listen to your woman, you will be ticking all the boxes. So just shut your mouth and don't give her a solution. All the, all the good husbands in the room know this. Because women need that. Guys, I don't need that as much. I just don't. But a lot of women do. And that's good. It's okay. But if the union of the woman and the man fully reflect the image of God, and it's, Scripture says it does, any idea of a hierarchical understanding of men over women or something like that, it implies that God is somehow contradictory. And he's not. Our God is not the author of confusion. So, God, men aren't made to lord over women. No, they're not. If anything, that's a gross mischaracterization and caricature of what it means to be a man. And if anything, Ephesians 4 says, men, you're called to love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? Well, what did Christ do for the church? He laid down his life for the church. If anything, you're called to have mutual submission for each other. That is the essence of love. That's the picture Genesis paints for us. And then in verse 25, at the end of the chapter, we see that this astounding statement, the two were both naked, but and, and were not ashamed. I was thinking about this. Can you, imagine, can you imagine a reality in which there is no shame? Like, I, I have a hard time doing that. Because they lived in an experience where they had no shame. They were not ashamed of being naked or of anything of that sort. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to like negative, debilitating sort of shame. Like, acu- like accusation. Um, sort of the, the, the shame that just weighs on your chest. 
Like we've all felt it before. I mean, sometimes shame can be a good teacher in this life. It can help direct you towards some wisdom. You know, if you feel bad for something you said or did, you need to feel that correction and listen to it. But I'm talking about shame in which, like, I've met people in my life, they're literally hooked on shame. You know people like this? Like, they're hooked on guilt. That's all I know. Maybe they were abused in their past. I don't know. They went through some hard stuff. More than likely, that's true. But having an existence without shame is, is really a picture of heaven, isn't it? It's a picture of the life to come. But it's also a picture of the fact that human beings can walk in no shame in this life based on what Christ has done on the cross for you and your sin. Every time you feel the old accuser coming at you and going, you should feel ashamed about the past, you should feel ashamed about the divorce, you should feel ashamed about whatever, you need to remind yourself that Christ paid for that sin once and for all 2,000 years ago. And it was, it was sufficient, right? From that time to now. So don't call God a liar by dwelling on the place of shame. Because he doesn't call Christians to live in that way. Like, think about this. Genesis chapter 2. They felt no shame. And then I started thinking about John 3, in that Jesus and Nicodemus are having these late night talks with this religious leader. And Jesus is teaching these astounding things about life in the Spirit and and why he is there and, and the purpose of his coming. And he says words like this. Words are very familiar to many of us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to read the context here. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He's not come to condemn people. Christians do that sometimes, don't they? But Jesus didn't come to do that. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. How how many of you today believe in Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay. You're not condemned. You're not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I jumped ahead of you, but keep going. And this is the judgment. This is the part I want to get to. That the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is the same God that's at present at Genesis, at Genesis chapter 2. This is the same God that knew Adam and Eve when they had no shame, when they walked in the light when they did not know darkness at all. This is the same God. And he's saying to the world, I knew you when it was all good. I knew you when it was in harmony. And I have come to pull you back from the place of shame and darkness and debilitating guilt and fear and bring you back into the light. He says, for all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so they may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Jesus is calling in John 3 to come willingly into the light, to come into fellowship with God again. Do not dwell in the shadows any longer, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. I have called you back to receive your birthright as those that will live forever. Human beings, everyone, we're all immortal. We do not, when this life is over, it is not over. We live on. And Jesus is saying, I want all to come into the light. Just as it was in the beginning, let me restore that within you. 
2 Timothy 2.19 says, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord, let them turn away from wickedness. And the, the moment we let go of any sense of guilt or shame and choose in your volition, in your will, to come into the light of God, chains come off and eyes get opened and lives get healed. I've seen it happen again and again and again. And God wants everyone, men and women, he wants us to live he wants everyone to win in this regard, all people. And you could be hearing my voice today and you're not really a religious person or something like that. God wants you to live. Jesus' word said, I have not come to condemn you. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just a chosen few, but anyone. But that statement implies that you have agency. You have the ability to choose. You have the ability to call on the name of the Lord or not. And so when we sing a song like Run to the Father, a beautiful song, you are, it is an invitation to run to him. Lord, I'm not staying in the dark anymore. I want to walk into the promise that you have for me. I want to walk into the light that you have provided for me. And I want to stay there, God. Do that. And let's, let's say a prayer. And after the prayer, there will be a time of prayer up here in the front, and if you need prayer, please come forward and let us lay hands on you and pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you in the beautiful ways you've created men and women, the ways that you've designed your people for a certain purpose, uh, to build one another up, to serve one another, and we thank you, God, that even though we're a fallen world, you still are present in the world healing and restoring and, and raising to new life and bringing resurrection, not coming to condemn, but that you so loved the world, all the Adams and Eves, that you gave your life for us all and that we have a choice this day and every day to continually say yes to you, to say yes to life, to say yes to walking out of a place of condemnation and shame and guilt and running into a place of freedom a place of destiny, God, a place of inheritance, of eternal riches that will never pass away, a place where moth and thief cannot break in and steal, but a place, God, where you dwell forevermore. We can know that kingdom, that reign over our lives now, not the moment we breathe our final breath. God, your heartbeat for the Adams and Eves of the world is unrelenting. Your grace is ever pursuing your people. And I pray for anyone that's in a place right now that they don't know where they stand with you. Holy Spirit, move in their hearts in ways that change them forever and, and heal those that need healing at this very moment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.